All right, so hi, my name is Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America and COVID, an oral history project. So I started this podcast during Black History Month of 2022 because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about living or working and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I also wanted to provide a space for people to memorialize someone who was a Black American who sadly lost their life either to COVID-19 or just during the pandemic. And I was inspired by the work of the writer and anthropologist, Zora Neale Hurston, to record the experiences of Black Americans in their own voices. And my goal is to get all my recordings into museums such as the Smithsonian Museum of African-American History and Culture. So I'll just share a little bit about me and then introduce my guests. So I am half Jamaican, half African-American and Indigenous American. My mom is a Jamaican immigrant and she married my dad when they met in graduate school. I am also a fourth generation teacher. So my mom is a retired New York City teacher. My grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica for 20 years and then also 20 years in New York City. And my great grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica. She was half Irish woman, half black. And when she got married, she had to stop working because it wasn't considered respectable for women to work once they got married in the late 1800s, which I find ironic because my mom started teaching after she got married, like in the late 1980s, I think. So without further ado, I'm really excited to speak with a fellow alum of the Prep for Prep program who also went to boarding school like me and a, a liberal, sorry, liberal arts college like me. So please tell us your name and where you're from. Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Luther Masanto. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Um, my parents were both born in a small island called Grenada, so I'm 100% Grenadian American. Um, and currently I reside in Syracuse, New York. Oh, that's so cool. My brother's wife is from Grenada. Well, she her parents are from Grenada. Nice. Cool. Yeah, great country. Yes. So then that brings me to my next question. Do you identify as Caribbean American, Grenadian American, African American, or just Black? I usually identify as just Black. Um, I think there is a, I guess, a sense of pride and a sense of identity that I carry when I just say that I'm Black, because I think there's so much richness to that. There's so much behind it. There's so much in the history of it. So. That's, that's how I identify. I know in terms of like ethnicity, every once in a while, I'll let people know that I'm Grenadian American, so they know kind of my history, but I usually identify as Black. Thank you. And so now, what was your experience living and or working or going to school in 2020 and then in 2021? So, my experience with uh, that time frame being the COVID-19 pandemic, it was tough at first because I, I initially got an internship to go to LA for music and I was super excited. 
And then the pandemic kind of derailed that. And I was nervous. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I just did all these studies. I thought this was going to be my new career path. And I had to make a really strong pivot and figure out what could I do now that the world is kind of shut down. Um, so for a while, I started doing Instacart and I was delivering groceries, which at that time, it was actually paying really well um, because a lot of people didn't want to leave their homes. They'd rather just buy their groceries and order it to their house. So I started doing that for a while and just to kind of make ends meet. And while I didn't, I tried not to dip too far into my savings. Um, and then I remember just applying and applying to jobs in a field that I'd done before, which was supply chain, just hoping that I could get something um, during, during this time, because it was just tough to find anything mm -hmm. in music or to find anything really in general. Um, so I was like, I, I need to get something. Um, and I got lucky. I actually found a job with uh, Cardinal Health, which was company up in Syracuse. It, it's in a couple of places in New York, um, but they were hiring for an LSS, a Lean Six Sigma um, consultant. And luckily I got the interview and I got that job and that kind of helped save me because it was getting close to that point where I was dipping pretty far into my savings um, by the end of that summer. So, during the pandemic, I think that was probably the hardest part was trying to figure out what I was going to do after just coming out of grad school and, and trying to figure out what I was going to do in my career path. So luckily it worked out and now things are a little bit better. Um, and I actually now I'm working at National Grid doing something that I actually really like um, that is a little outside of music, but it's definitely something that I've been enjoying. Oh, so what did you study at Syracuse and then in graduate school? So initially at Syracuse, I studied um, engineering, environmental engineering. Um, I went back to learn a bit of engineering management and that's where I got kind of the Lean Six Sigma um, experience. Uh, then I worked at Frito-Lay for a couple of years as a, a supply chain consultant. And that's kind of how I, made the pivot to go into music because I was like, I really want to try going into studio management. I figured this would be my, my last chance to, to try that. Mm -hmm. But I actually found um, in the job that I do now, I get a chance to work from home and work on music in my free time. So it actually works out. Oh, so have you been working from home just in 2022, just this year? Yeah, so um, this new job with um, National Grid has been fully remote. So I've been able to kind of work in my studio space that I uh, made while I was studying in college. And now I can kind of utilize the space to do freelance work and things like that since I'm already in the space. Mm -hmm. So that's been one of the lucky things that have come has come out of it. Just being able, because now you have more time to create music because you're already at home. Yeah. yeah. Um, more time to create music, more time to collaborate with other musicians. And because everything has become virtual, 
it's it's almost expected that you collaborate virtually now. So mm-hmm. it's actually easier to reach a larger group of people. Mm. That's interesting. And I was also curious, so I never ordered groceries until the pandemic. I was like, I'm not gonna be that person. So, <laughs> you know, and now it's, there's no longer a stigma. Now it's, so I'm curious, cause I'm sure Insta, Instacart probably boomed. Like, were you working in person when you were with Instacart or were you behind the scenes? So I was working in person, um, essentially how the app works is, it almost looks like Uber, but for groceries. So you get a, a list of orders from people that have ordered their groceries. You can choose one of the names and then it'll tell you what grocery store to go to and then um, where to deliver it. And so everything was in person. So when I was going to the grocery stores, like you had to have a mask on. There's only a certain amount of people that could go into the grocery store at a time. It was very rigid. It felt like, okay, I'm doing this, but it, it was timed for one. Um, and then also you'd have to navigate all the aisles with the arrows because they started to make it so that you can only go one way in each of the aisles in the uh, grocery stores. Mm-hmm. So it took a lot longer than usual to shop for maybe a couple of items just to, to get it to someone's house. And that was one of the challenges, I think, with because everyone was so nervous about people being near each other, even shopping for groceries with only 10 other people around me, it was intensely more difficult. I forgot about that. They did have arrows. Like, you could only go up the aisles one way. Did you have to wait a long time to get into the grocery store? Yeah, there, sometimes there would be a line. So if they said that there can only be 50 people in the store at a time, then they'd have that count. And then someone would be at the front just kind of, you know, letting people in based on how many people came out. So it almost felt like you're in a restaurant mm-hmm. at times, um, depending on how busy the grocery store would be. They even added an early hour where only people above a certain age could go into the grocery store. Oh, you're right. Because I, I tried to convince my mom, the senior citizen, to get up at 7 a.m. And she was like, absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was insane. It, it was around like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. Yeah. And then it ended at 8. So by then, the whole crowd would start coming in. Yeah. Because a lot of people, you know, lost their jobs and stuff. They had nothing else to do but to go to the grocery store and stock up on necessities and toilet paper for some reason. You know, what's fascinating is that you had a graduate degree and here you are working in a, in a job that probably didn't require a graduate degree um, because of the, the way that the pandemic shut down opportunities. Yeah, it, it leveled the playing field, I'll say that. I think it, it felt as though there, there was some camaraderie, I would say, almost, mm-hmm. um, b- because I would see other Instacart drivers in pat- like when you're shopping in the grocery store, you'd see them with the green shirts or one of the badges or something. And you'd see 
it everyone every one of us kind of looked like we had a completely different career path in mind and this was just us trying to do our part to help out because we didn't know what was going on and we needed to make some extra cash so it was it was kind of that funny dynamic to see people that looked like they never did this a day in their life before and mm -hmm. others who may have been experienced in the service industry it just was a myriad of different people working this job because it was one of the few things available. Mm -hmm. Wow. Were you ever um, afraid of catching COVID or was that not like a, not something you thought about? I think at first I didn't, I didn't really take it as seriously. I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't take it as seriously until I started hearing like the reports straight from the hospitals and stuff. Then I was like, okay, this is kind of scary. But for the first couple of weeks, I have to say, I, I remember like starting to see people wear masks and thinking, oh yeah, I got to pick one of those up. I got to, I keep forgetting. Mm -hmm. And then it felt like, oh, I can't go anywhere without one. Like I, I really, even to this day, I still feel like I'm, if I'm not wearing a mask, I feel out of, I feel weird. Mm -hmm. um so I think at first it was I didn't I took it a bit for granted I was like okay it's only two weeks I think we'll be okay but then when it just kept getting extended then it felt like okay this this could this actually is going to be around for a while this feels like it's going to be almost like the new flu mm -hmm. and that's where I started to get scared like okay I think it might be inevitable that I might get it um, and I was also scared because what I was hearing was like, there were these reports about the most likely to get it and the most likely to, um, have severe symptoms from it were black and African-Americans. And mm -hmm. so I, I wasn't sure how true it was, but at the time I was so freaked out that I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying inside. I had stopped doing Instacart for a while and I just applied to jobs and I was like, I need to work something from home and not be outside anymore. Yeah, when I heard that, I was like, really? Because yeah. before, so like my mom is a senior citizen. So a lot of her older friends passed away. And so I helped set up Zoom on her computer. And then I attended eight of the funerals that she went to on Zoom um, and then I, a lot of my friends who, who aren't Black American, a lot of them didn't know anyone who had died. So I thought, well, I don't know, maybe. I don't, so what, like now, what's your impression? Do, like, do you know anyone who's passed from COVID or have you, who was Black American? Or do you feel like that statistic is, is off? Um, I know, I don't know many who have passed. I do, um, no, one of my extended family members, so my my sister-in-law's um, close relative, he passed from COVID, mm. um, and she's actually Grenadian too, so she actually went back to Grenada to, uh, for the funeral. Oh, but um, I know that I think I, I know of you know people who've gotten sick who have who've had it and recovered from it, luckily. Some who have had it more severely, some who have had it not as severely. Um, old classmates and, and whatnot. 
Mm-hmm. But um, I think one of the things that I've noticed throughout this whole pandemic is that we've gotten a bit more aware of just how, I guess, how much we were taking certain things for granted. I feel like, um, you know, we, we really started to see the capacities of hospitals, the, um, the resources available for people. I mean, we, we saw the checks going out that everyone was super excited about at first, the um, stimulus checks. And then we started to see all these different things that were put in place for if a disaster happens. And I think that some of the conversations I had with my friends who are also Black, African-American, a lot of us were scared more about what was going to be the long-term effects of this, of what happens the next time this happens, or, you know, how do we really support ourselves during a time where something that we can't necessarily control or something that's very difficult to control starts changing our lives so rapidly? Because even though you know, I don't know too many people that lost someone, we all know how much this has affected our lives, our livelihood, the way that we sanitize, um, the way that we um, approach the idea of cleanliness, approach the idea of closeness, you know, social distancing and having to wear masks around friends and all these kind of different things that cause you to think more deeply about, you know, how, I guess, fragile um, our health can be, but also how do we navigate this from now on? Do we go back to everything being normal? Do we maybe keep masks around for whenever we're feeling sick? Which I know there are some countries that do that already. Mm-hmm. I think there's some questions on how do we progress past this and do better next time so that it doesn't have to be such a drastic change again. I think, I think that's one of the conversations that I've had reoccurring with friends throughout this, the ending, so to speak, of this pandemic. That's such a good point, because there, there was a large economic impact. A lot of people lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of grads, recent grads couldn't find work. Yeah, and then the stimulus check, what was it, like 1200 that was sent out for the whole year? Yeah, it was something, I think it was, they, they were saying there was going to be a second one, and then it was only like 600. Yeah. And then a third one later, and it, it was like, during that time, the first one dropped, there were people getting evicted and mm-hmm. having arguments with their landlord on whether they could stay because they couldn't pay rent. It was, it was insane. I forgot about that. Yes. And then they had the moratorium on evictions. And I remember my friends and I were like, what's 1200 going to do in New York? I mean, whose rent is even 1200 in New York? Yeah. Um, It it probably only scratches the surface for one person in a two bedroom. Right. Is there anything else that you'd like to share from your your time during the COVID-19 pandemic? I think the last thing that I, I that was on my mind about this pandemic was just I think as we move forward from it, um, 
one of the things that I, I think has changed quite a bit to me is my perspective on, you know, how we go about clean spaces or like social distancing. That that thing, for a while, it was really tough to to think, okay, I'm around family and I can't be that close to them. Mm-hmm. But I guess kind of piggybacking on the piece I was saying before, just the, whenever you're feeling sick to protect yourself from your other family members, it made me more aware of, you know, if I'm going to visit my mom and I don't feel well or something like that, I'm going to take it a bit more seriously than before. I think before I was just like, oh, like if I'm not feeling too well, but I'm around family, like it's, you know, they'll understand or I'll just kind of stick to myself. But I think now it's like, it's made me think some of the stories that I hear about, you know, people visiting their family while they were infected and then causing kind of a tragedy. It just makes me think about these things a little bit more seriously, Um, which I didn't realize it before. I never thought, you know, if I have the flu, I don't feel well. I usually just try to avoid people, but I don't always think about that with like my family and how that is so important to make sure that if I'm not feeling well, probably just avoiding or not, not actually going to see them during that time, or maybe wearing a mask might be just that extra step to make sure that they're safe. Mm. So it might just be a little drastic, but I was just thinking, you know, with some of the stories I heard, it was just heartbreaking to hear, you know, you go to see your loved ones during an emergency and you don't realize that you possibly could be endangering them if, if you're not completely aware, which it's hard to be aware, you know, it's hard to know what's happening. So it almost feels like the mass and some of these precautions that we've kind of disgruntledly had to make mm-hmm. could possibly be some great ideas to keep us safer in the future. Definitely. That's such a good point. Yeah, because I, I know of a cousin who over, I think over the holidays, their extended family members visited because like after two years, they all went to get together and then they all got COVID and then the eldest one passed and it was just like heartbreaking. So yeah, it's it's tough to kind of have to go through that. And then I, I can't imagine the, the amount of guilt to feel right. you caused it when you probably didn't even know. Right. But, yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's so nice to talk. You're the first Tafty I've interviewed. Thank you. <laughs> it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Thank you. Well, I'll just, I guess I'll just end and say thank you so much, Luther. And I'll send you the, a link to the interview. And once the Smithsonian um, takes in all my recordings as an archive, I'd like to plan a gathering where we, we can all meet. I don't know what, it's, it'll be like the end of the year or next year, but I'll definitely invite you. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. And then if you need other Tafties, let me know. Um, I can ask a couple of people that I know um, that were prep alums and I can ask them if they can be a part of it as well. I would love that. Please. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Thank you. Well, have a good day. Thank you so much. Thank you as well.
Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Black America and COVID, an oral history project by Sonia Jean Killebrew.